Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. It's just lovely to be here in the church. I've been coming to this church since it opened. And uh, I must say, it's always been a church very close to us. We've always felt a very strong link here. It's my second home. You know, if I was leaving Donegal, I would be arriving here. (laughs) Holy Spirit didn't allow me to do that. And uh, it's not that I didn't think about it often. (laughs) But uh, he has his own uh, plans uh, for it. And uh, yeah, just enjoyed wonderful fellowships. And, and I think uh, evenings that we celebrated in the summer fire, some, some of the evenings were uh, just like heaven on earth. You know, the Holy Ghost came down, uh, some of our marvelous uh, ministers in the Word, and the Holy Ghost just come. And it was breaking in like waves, uh, uh, breaking over the congregation. And we were celebrated uh, in the atmosphere of heaven. And uh, absolutely wonderful. Hundreds and hundreds of evenings uh, when we felt uh, that God had come down uh, and let his face uh, shine upon us. And uh, Nick was uh, uh, very nicely talking about... uh, uh, Father's Day, and uh, I didn't, I, I didn't appreciate, you know, uh, where uh, John is saying, uh, John uh, 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And it was only after Stephen uh, was born that I could say that I could enter somewhat uh, into that sentiment. Up to that, uh, I, uh, well, I'd never been a family man and uh, <laughs> didn't grow up in what you would call a, a, a very close family. My uh, mother, uh, I would say, was rather psychotic. <laughs> and so we didn't have a great measure of peace uh, in the house. And so, you know, for me, uh, I had to relearn uh, about being a family man, you know, until until the children were born, I had never picked up a baby in my life. I had never been near children, nor you know, except where I'd worked in the children's work uh, before God called me uh, to pioneer the work in the northwest of Ireland. I had never lifted a child, and you know, so it was a real revolution there for me. Uh, uh, I was very much in in the man's world. And uh, I thought at that time, you know, children were for the ladies. And and so I had uh, a whole lot to learn. And uh, so it's just lovely to be here. I've been looking forward to coming uh, through the months, you know, on Sunday mornings uh, before we had the freedom uh, to go to church again. 
uh, we would first, we'd be listening into the service here in Cork and uh, just love the worship and love the ministry of the word. And then uh, we'd go to uh, Letty Kenny and listen in there, but we'd had a feast already. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because you have such a wonderful uh, uh, manner of uh, worship. Uh, for us, uh, it was curtailed a little. And so it was good to come here and have a feast uh, and enjoy ourselves uh, so much. And uh, so this, this morning now, uh, the Lord has uh, been putting on my heart uh, to think about the cross. I, I love uh, uh, the cross of the Lord Jesus. Excuse me. And uh, in my thinking... Even daily, uh, I'm often thinking about the wonder uh, of the cross uh, of the Lord Jesus. And, you know, uh, there has been uh, no uh, controversial death, uh, uh, so great a uh, um, controversy, uh, about the death of somebody as there has been about the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, you know, there were other controversial deaths. Socrates uh, was a controversial death and uh, uh, the death of Princess Diana uh, was a controversial uh, death. Uh, and also Hitler's death was controversial. Some didn't believe that he died at all, but escaped. Uh, I believe he died. Uh, uh, Galileo, his death was controversial too. And although these uh, are famous uh, in history, uh, none of them uh, have provoked uh, the... Uh, inquiry that was subsequent uh, to the death of the Lord Jesus. Uh, millions uh, have uh, wrestled uh, with the scriptures and the consideration of Jesus dying and rise again, rising again. Uh, a fellow was saying one day, oh, he said, uh, I will think he said, I will begin a new religion. And his friend uh, said to him, die, he said, and rise again on the third day. <laughs> Very good foundation. <laughs> and of course, uh, you know, the books uh, that have been written, you know, about uh, uh, the death and the life uh, of the Lord Jesus by the most eminent uh, of thinkers and literary uh, geniuses, every verse uh, in the scriptures uh, sifted through uh, in regard uh, to Jesus uh, dying. And so uh, no person has been more written about or discussed or thought about in the world uh, than the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, Pilate uh, Past the observation when uh, Jesus was 
uh, brought to him. It says that Pilate knew uh, that they had delivered uh, the Lord Jesus out of envy, you see. And unfortunately, uh, eminent people sometimes who are outstanding in their field can uh, provoke uh, an element of jealousy. It's such a pity, uh, instead of appreciating uh, the uh, enormous gifting and benefit that uh, some of these people bring, people get filled with jealousy uh, and want to uh, remove them or get rid of them because they can't cope uh, with jealousy. It's such an awful thing. Jealousy is a, is a terrible thing. And uh, you see, so uh, Pilate uh, could observe this. And you see, there were several reasons uh, why they uh, wanted Jesus out of the way. Now, when I say they, that is, uh, the leaders of the Jews uh, wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was beginning to pose a threat to them, both political and economic. And sometimes you read it, but we don't always uh, sense the depth uh, of the meaning. At the beginning of his ministry, John records for us in John chapter 2 that having turned uh, the water uh, into wine, uh, that Jesus went uh, with his uh, disciples to Jerusalem and came into the temple uh, and observed uh, what was going on there, uh, the selling of animals, uh, the, uh, you know, the money changers, and all these horrible things that were going on. And it says that he made a whip of small cords. Well, Luke says he went out from the temple, made the whip of small cords, and returned uh, again. But it's commonly accepted that our Lord Jesus didn't even strike a blow. But he cleared the temple precincts. Now, it wasn't in the temple, but around where the temple was built was a six to seven acre enclosure. And it was within this area uh, that they were selling the animals uh, for sacrifice and, uh, you know, and they were changing money there uh, for the different people coming in uh, from different countries. And Jesus cleared it because, you see, uh, they shouldn't have been doing it there in the temple precincts. These people, uh, the Jews that had come from all around the Mediterranean, but also there were people that were called uh, proselytes who had been reading uh, the scriptures, the Septuagint version, which had been translated 
uh, in the Greek, about uh, uh, 160 uh, BC, and that had been uh, published and would spread across the Mediterranean world, and there were thousands of people who had read it and had uh, come to faith uh, in the God of the Old Testament. They hadn't come to faith in the Jews now. <laughs> that was the shortfall, and even many of them attended the synagogue, but they didn't take that final step of becoming Jews, and they thought, oh, it would be absolutely uh, wonderful uh, to be able to go to Jerusalem and to worship at the temple and to worship the living God. And, uh, and so they did that. They saved up the money. You know, a lot of families in Ireland, uh, uh, they, they saved the money and they go to Florida uh, to Disneyland and they think that's a great celebration and so it is. But uh, for the Jew and for the believer, you know, under the Old Testament, uh, the greatest event in their life was to be able to travel to Jerusalem and to worship God. And when they were coming into the precincts of the temple, it should have been still. It should have been holy. It should have been reverent. It should have been the sound of trumpets and choirs singing as it was in the days of David and Solomon. And what did the people meet when they came into the temple courts but the bawling of cattle and the bleating of sheep and the dirt and people shouting and haggling over prices and, you know, and, and then as well as that, the corrupt uh, officials working under the high priestly family of the Sadducees shortchanging the people who come in, in their innocence to have their money changed and not even receiving value for money. And on top of that, the corrupt priests were selling defective animals. We know from the Levitical law that if you brought a lamb or an animal uh, for sacrifice, uh, it was to be without blemish. It was to be something lovely for the Lord. And here were the Sadducees, not the Pharisees, but the Sadducees. They were the aristocrats. Uh, they were the high priestly family. And their, their money changes and the people selling the animals. You see, uh, it was such an awful system because... Uh, without the mark or the stamp of the high priest on the animal, you could not have it offered for sacrifice at the temple. And it wasn't like that until they took control of it. And it was a huge means of revenue for them. So the Lord Jesus was angry about this. He was angry because it gave such an awful and false impression to the people who had sincerely come uh, to worship God uh, at the temple of God. And uh, it was so tragic. So Jesus, he, uh, 
he uh, had the animals driven out, all the animals driven out, but it shows the absolute control. He had not lost his temper because he said to the people who sold the doves, it was the offering uh, for the poorer people, he said, take these things from here. He didn't hurt the doves or not showed the beautiful uh, control of the Lord Jesus in the midst of the situation. But you see, this was a, an economic threat uh, to the family of the high priest. It stopped uh, the flow of the money into their coffers. And this, along with their jealousy uh, about Jesus, because Jesus, uh, you know, was uh, living uh, the perfect law of life. And so uh, this was an economic blow for them. Of course, they reinstituted it again uh, against the wishes of Jesus because we read in Matthew, I think it's 22, uh, that Jesus cleansed uh, the temple the second time as he is uh, descending uh, from the Mount of Olives on uh, Palm uh, Sunday. And, of course, uh, the people are crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! And there are thousands of them, you see, because this is uh, just after uh, Jesus had raised uh, Lazarus uh, from the dead. And in fact, for many years, and it might still do it, the Orthodox Church in Russia, on the Saturday prior to Palm Sunday, that was called Lazarus Saturday. You know, I wasn't actually raised that day, but that was the day in which the church remembered it. And I thought, you know, it was so absolutely... They're fantastic, and so, you know, that, that Palm Sunday actually is the opening of the Passover week, and there are synonymous terms for that. Uh, it could be called uh, the beginning of the days of unleavened bread, or it could be called the feast of the Passover. The two uh, terms uh, were... Uh, synonymous, but it's uh, Jesus coming uh, down uh, to the temple, and there are literally thousands of people uh, welcoming uh, him uh, there. Now, I just want to correct something that uh, is often said, and it's not correct. It's often said that the crowd was shouting and cheering for Jesus uh, on this day, and a week later, they were there. They had to cry, crucify him. A week later, that's not correct. Uh, the crowd that were there, these thousands of people, were there of their own volition, and also because uh, they appreciated, they knew uh, that the miracle of the raising of Lazarus was absolutely genuine. And they were celebrating uh, Jesus uh, as the Messiah uh, coming in 
uh, to the city. Uh, and uh, they were behaving uh, as if he was a king, uh, spreading their garments on the, uh, the path of descent uh, down the Mount of Olives uh, for his triumphal entry into the city. And uh, it must have been a wonderful scene. And, uh, of course, uh, as I say, they were crying out, uh, thousands of them. The crowd that uh, were there, uh, and remember, it was very early in the morning when Jesus was taken for trial. They were a crowd that were hired uh, by the high priest, else there wouldn't have been anybody there, uh, to shout with him, for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So it is a different group of people completely who were organized uh, through the high priestly family. And of course, they were jealous of the Lord Jesus. I mean, on the second occasion that Jesus cleanses the temple and breaks this economic uh, thraldom, of the high priest and this terrible sin uh, in the church to sell holy offices or to sell anything in regard to the church is regarded as the sin of simony. And that means, in a sense, that when you do that, you don't sin against man, but you sin against God which is the worst sin of all. It's one thing, the Bible says that, it's one thing to sin against men. It's another thing entirely to sin against God. And so, you know, uh, and Jesus, of course, at the cleansing, at the second cleansing of the temple, there was something absolutely fantastic. It says the blind and the lame came to Jesus and he healed them. There were probably many others with other complaints too. But it simply describes this, you know, that the blind and the lame, and I thought, you know, Jesus is not only sitting there, you know, as it were, uh, healing the blind, blind and the lame. But when you think of it, you know, he's there as the real high priest, uh, sitting uh, in the midst of the temple. And you see, of course, the priests uh, too, uh, they were also uh, so jealous of the Lord Jesus because nobody else had ever lived a perfect life, you know. It must have been incredibly difficult, I think, even for the disciples. I mean, they were something like 1,300 days and nights uh, in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And, you know, to live in the presence of somebody absolutely perfect. I mean, it must have been really, it must have been, you know, wonderful uh, to see it here was a person. And, you know, that's one of the things that is unique uh, in the four Gospels, which we term one Gospel, is that from the pen of the four writers, one thing is absent in the four accounts 
of the life of the Lord Jesus. There is an absence of a single fault, as it were, pointed towards the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely perfect. And he could say to his enemies in a confrontation uh, with the Jewish leaders, he was able to say to them, well, as the Bible says it, which one of you convinces me of sin? In other words, which one of you can point at a shortfall uh, in my life and they couldn't do it? None of us could say that, brothers and sisters. None of us could say to each other, you know, uh, you know, you can't point out a fault in my life. Uh, I am glad Corrie's not here. She could very well qualify <laughs> for a few faults or quite a lot uh, in my life. And so they, they were afraid of Jesus, first for the economic reason, uh, and then also uh, for the uh, political side. Because the crowds were coming uh, as Jesus is making his way uh, uh, into uh, the temple precincts, thousands are uh, crying out in appreciation of the Lord Jesus. They thought, you see, that this could uh, turn uh, into riots uh, in the streets in favor of Jesus. And the Jewish authorities, it was there. Uh, job to keep order in the streets because they were given that responsibility from the Romans that they must uh, keep order in society. And sometimes uh, zealots and rebels and so on, the Jewish leaders had to hand them over to the Roman authorities to get rid of them or else they could create riots. If riots started in the streets, and the Romans didn't keep order, it could have been reported back to the authorities in Rome and they could lose their position and their salaries uh, and a whole lot more. And so they were afraid of the Lord Jesus uh, and the crowds that were gathering uh, to support him and in, in the eyes of the Romans uh, that would be termed uh, insurrection. And uh, so... Uh, the Jews were afraid of this. And so if the political uh, and the economic uh, and also from the side uh, of insurrection, and so the Jewish leaders were afraid and also afraid of the ministry of Jesus. I mean, the world has never seen a person like the Lord Jesus. Isn't it great we see him this morning, brothers? Oh, hallelujah! We see Jesus! Oh, glory to God! Oh, praise the Lord this morning. God has taken the scales from our eyes and we see Jesus. And uh, so, you know, it's absolutely marvelous. And of course, then, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and 
they were staying uh, in the vicinity of Capernaum where Peter's home was. And it says, as the sun was setting, the multitudes came to Jesus and he healed them all. I mean, the world has never seen anything like this. I mean, how splendid to have been there uh, and to experience uh, uh, the wonder of Jesus. And of course, Jesus uh, was three and a half years uh, ministering. You know, when you think of Jesus and the power of the Lord Jesus and his life, his public ministry and his public life were only three and a half years and shook the world. And the world has never been the same since uh, the visit of the Lord Jesus. And of course then, it meant that the high priest, because of the popularity of Jesus, had to take him by secret. And what we don't often recognize as Christians is that actually Jesus passed through six forms of trial. Uh, he was first arrested under the authority of Annas, who had been high priest, but was now the father-in-law of the high priest, who was Caiaphas. And because of the betrayal of Judas, uh, they were fairly sure that this time they would be able to arrest Jesus also. It's about uh, midnight, so none of the supporters of Jesus were on the streets. So they thought, this is an excellent time to arrest him. And so Annas sent the temple guard to the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to arrest the Lord Jesus. What time do we stop, Nick? Ten minutes. All right, then. <laughs> You're going to have lunch at three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> we get a sandwich from Nicky in between. <laughs> but you see, and so they had to do it secretly. So the temple guard came and arrested Jesus, but it was illegal because the high priest had no definite charge uh, against the Lord Jesus. And it was Annas, actually, that sent uh, the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And what should have normally happened was when they had a prisoner, a malefactor, there was a small prison quite close to uh, the temple itself, within the midst of the enclosure. And prisoners should have been taken there and kept there until the Sanhedrin uh, could meet together to pass their judgment on them. And what Annas did, he took Jesus... Uh, and he brought him to the palace of the high priest where he would have shared the quarters with Caiaphas. I mean, it was, a, it was a palace. When you look, you know, you see pictures of the Western Wall and you look in uh, 
you know, east at the back of the Western Wall, just a little bit to the south. The houses of the high priests were built there, and the priests in general, because they had to have close proximity and access uh, to the temple. And so they took Jesus, and Annas actually uh, interviewed Jesus when he arrived, and uh, condemned Jesus. But where was Caiaphas, the high priest, at midnight or somewhere about that time? We're not given the exact hour. I'll tell you where he was. <laughs> he was down bribing Pilate. That's where he was, you see, and because they'd often bribed Pilate before. Only this was different. He went down to bribe Pilate, and he was telling Pilate, of course, that this was the most evil person. And, you know, they had to get a sentence and they had to have it early in the morning before the crowds would gather, or else there'd be riots in the street. Well, now Pilate had probably, you know, they'd, they'd handled Pilate on previous occasions, and they were brilliant at it. There's one thing you can say about the Jews, you know. You can accuse them of many bad things, but they were never stupid, you know. <laughs> never stupid. And... Uh, so Caiaphas was there because they wanted Pilate to come out either at five or, five or six o'clock in the morning uh, to pass judgment on this unique prisoner. Now Pilate took the money and he didn't know uh, the sort of person that he was going to be asked to pass uh, judgment on. And uh, the next morning, of course, after Caiaphas had had a trial with an interview with the Lord Jesus and condemned him, they then called the Sanhedrin. Now imagine having to have a council meeting at four o'clock in the morning. Imagine the county council in Cork. He said, now, we want you in here tomorrow morning at four o'clock, boys, because we have some important business. <laughs> Can you imagine the response with the Sanhedrin were a little more disciplined. And they must have come in at four o'clock in the morning. Now, it wasn't the full Sanhedrin. The full Sanhedrin is the complete Sanhedrin uh, which meets once a year uh, to decide uh, the main business uh, uh, for the land which they governed. But it, it was a small Sanhedrin of 23. And they had a Sanhedrin like that in every city uh, in Israel. The full Sanhedrin, which is most unusual, could not pass a death sentence on anybody. Only the half Sanhedrin could pass a death sentence. And this was a half Sanhedrin hastily gathered. And of course, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were also part uh, of the council, and they disagreed with their decision uh, <clears throat> to have Jesus uh, crucified. And so the first trial was under Annas, and the second trial uh, was under Caiaphas, and the third trial uh, was under the council. It doesn't appear very obvious that it's a council or a Sanhedrin. And so they brought him to Pilate. It's about half past five in the morning. 
or 6 o'clock, and uh, <coughs> Pilate, of course, had taken the bribe. I mean, he, he thought it was the normal uh, malefactor or evildoer. Uh, why not take a few bob uh, for sending them to the cross uh, and put, instead of sending them for nothing? That's the way Pilate would have been thinking. He's going to go, he's going to die for his evil deeds. What difference does it make? You know, that was the type of him. But when he begins the interview, and this is the fourth track, when he begins the interview with Jesus, he finds this is the most unique and unusual person he has ever encountered. He finds an absolutely beautiful person uh, in front of him who has no political aspirations whatsoever. And Pilate can find nothing wrong uh, with the Lord Jesus. And he's shocked. But you see, he's taken the money. And so he's between the devil and the deep blue sea. And he realizes that the Jews have pulled a fast one on him. And he can't get out because he's taken the money and he's taken the money probably on plenty of occasions before. But it wasn't a problem before because the prisoner deserved to be put to death or to be punished eh, for his evil deeds. And Pilate's in a quandary. Oh, he gets this idea. Oh, he says, Herod, he said. He finds out that Jesus is a Galilean. I'll send him down to Herod. Now, Pilate's palace was at the northern end of the temple precinct. It's about seven acres. So it's about a 15-minute walk. And he could look from the northern end all over the temple precinct. But at the other end, uh, uh, Herod had a palace there that his uh, grandfather had built. He was also Herod. The palace was on Corinthian pillars, about 30 feet high. Herod, of course, wasn't allowed to attend uh, the uh, temple services, so he, he could watch. And <clears throat> from his palace, he could see the great brazen altar <clears throat> where the animals were sacrificed and where they were further burned. So that was his uh, participation because their background was Edomite. And so Herod had wanted to see Jesus for a long time. And he was expecting Jesus to work a miracle, but Jesus only worked miracles for the good of the people and for the glory of God and wasn't putting on a show for an old fox like Herod. And Herod sort of punished Jesus a bit and his soldiers abused the Lord Jesus. This uh, is the fifth trial under Herod. And he sent him back uh, to Pilate, much to Pilate's disappointment. Luke tells us that three times Pilate approached the Jews to set Jesus free. I find no fault in him three times, he said. And he said, I have questioned him in your presence, and I find no fault in him. 
when the enemies declare something because they're against you or against the case, you know it's absolutely true. He said, I sent him to Herod. Herod found no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife found no fault, she said, about Jesus. Have nothing to do with this just man. See the way she describes him. Guilty, no guilt standing uh, before the trial of the Sanhedrin and Pilate. You know, Pilate always gets a bad name. I know he was tactile. He was stubborn. And the English word obdurate, no mover. No, <laughs> couldn't shift them. But here, I think Pilate shows up very well. And he knew all the things that the, the priests were bringing as accusations against Jesus. He knew it was nothing but corruption because they were corrupt like him. And not only did those three people say that Jesus was without fault, but the thief on the cross who was dying beside the Lord Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, this day you shall be with me in paradise. The thief, however he saw it, could see something regal, something absolutely marvelous in Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into, into your kingdom. This day you shall be with me in paradise. And the, the centurion at the foot of the cross said, surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. I find no fault in him, brothers and sisters, you have to close. But may I say to you, you will find no fault in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And may I say to you, you know, the greatest thing you can do, brothers and sisters, make room for Jesus. Make room for Jesus in your day. It'll always be a fight. Your old nature never wants you in the presence of God because you're going to be blessed and lifted. Happiness and life will be flowing into you as you draw near to him and as you look through on his face. I read the most marvelous verse a couple of weeks ago. It says... The Lord is a fountain of life to those who love him. Beloved, love the Lord. Let him be a fountain of life bubbling up inside of you, around you. He is the only source of life. It isn't anywhere else. Let it flow into your life. And, you know, praise the Lord. It's everlasting life. I know your pastors, they want the richest blessing possible for you.
and we want it too. Dear, beloved brothers and sisters, and you're a great church. I love this church. I love to be in it. I'm always blessed here. And it's great to see so many here. What a big baptismal service. Next Sunday, oh, I wish I could come. <laughs> this old COVID keeps me out. Otherwise, I'd be down here. I can't leave the wife again. She'll divorce me. <laughs> I'll get thrown out. <laughs> but I would love to be here. Pastor Nicky, please close for us, brother. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.